This is a headgum podcast. Hey. Hi. It's Craig. Yeah, it is. Andrew, they say that book publishing is a glamorous world filled with money, privilege, and three martini lunches. <laughs> and like baseball announcer guys, <laughs> apparently. If, if you're like us and want to dive into the messy power struggles, scams, and unfathomably bad behavior within the book world, then I recommend checking out Missing Pages, an all-new investigative podcast from the Podglomerate. It's hosted by literary critic and publishing insider Beth Ann Patrick, who spills the tea on some of the world's most famous and infamous book figures. Andrew, they're famous and they're infamous. <laughs> wow. Both both things. Both things. On this week's episode, <laughs> some stories are too big or at least too entertaining to fit into a single episode. So Beth Ann continues her investigation of alleged grifter, confirmed snake oil salesperson, and certified drama machine, Caroline Calloway. Certified drama machine. I, I mean, that's I got a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> Missing pages is worth the hype. I mean, where else can you hear your favorite authors publishing insiders in a circus of NYC media elites telling the real story unfit for print and perfect for podcasting? So go ahead. Find Missing Pages wherever you find podcasts. Craig, welcome to Pod Air. Oh, dang. Where does this plane go? Uh, to your ears and to Funville. It's two, it's the two legs of the journey. First, it does a layover in your ears and then it continues on to Funville. Oh, yeah, to EAR and FUN. I love those airports. On, on behalf of your Funville based crew, thank you for flying Pod Air. Now more than ever. Welcome to Overdue. <laughs> it's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Strap in, buckle up, seat tray, seat tray, tray tables in the upright position. Mm hmm. Turn off the TVs, put your phones away, or you can mm -hmm. use your phones, but you can't use computers. Right. You can't use big ones now. You can use little ones. <laughs> so stupid. I mean, it's probably, it's mostly because they don't want, I have seen <laughs> photos on Twitter of people using desktop iMacs on airplanes <laughs> that they plug into the, that they plug into the little outlets between the seats. And it's, you got to tell those people that. So that you don't have twenty five pound computers bouncing around. Do they an have airplane a monitor? It's trying to take off. It's an all in one computer. It's oh. like the you know the yes. silver ones with the the screen and the little no, like the right. chin with the apple on it. Like yes. those that thing. Oh my god! On an airplane. I recently we're going to talk about this week's book Con Air uh, by Richard Woodley, based on a script by Scott Rosenberg. In a second. Um, I was on a plane recently. It was a very weird experience. My first plane in several years. And they the innovation that I didn't know about was little holders for your phone. Yeah, the they have the little phone seats. holders now. Yeah, it's nice. Because they don't put screens in the seats. They just let you use their Wi-Fi to watch movies in a library. It de yeah, it depends on the... like. I think we were on a United and they did have the screens. But then huh. we were on an Amer American plane and they were like, yeah, we don't... 
We're not going to spend money on screens being not around. Do that. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. I was not prepared for that. But then it's like people came around and were like, well, you got to close that up. And it's like, why? Mm-hmm. You said I could use the it's phone. Gonna, it's going to bounce around and smack somebody. We're all going to bounce around. We all bounce around down here, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was our September patron's choice episode. <laughs> I really, I like we we get to blame it on the patrons, even though we give them a preset list of three choices yes. that they then get to narrow down for us. And would you remind everyone on the flight, Andrew, what do you recall what the three choices were? Uh, the three choices. So I know that the prompt was the 1997 club, because if you go to Wikipedia and look up American films released in 1997, you'll find that American cinema peaked that year. Correct. Uh, and the novelizations were, if I'm remembering correctly, Con Air, uh, Volcano, and was it one of the Asteroid movies? No, we we didn't. So Asteroid uh, came, Armageddon came later, and okay. I don't think that we wanted to double plane it up with Air Force One, so we no. went with Speed 2 Cruise Speed Control. Speed 2 Cruise Control, yes. Okay, okay, okay. Great, great, great. great Which great. I think yeah, was so these are- <laughs> honestly the one maybe we were most excited about, and it appropriately finished last in the poll. <laughs> the bus went too slow. It blew up. <laughs> it's a boat um, in that one. Oh, it's a boat in that. I, I apologize. If we, if we see, listen, if we'd read Speed 2 Cruise Control, I would know this about, <laughs> about it. Uh, fun fact about the volcano novelization, which I did not realize, is that it was also by a, this guy. Uh, it's also this guy. <laughs> Should we just talk about this guy? Yeah, we're gonna have some fun with movie novelizations and Nick Cage and whatever. But so first, tell me about Richard Woodley. Richard Andrew. Woodley. Now Google with no source that I can identify. You know, it just has that little summary box, but it's not giving me links to the places it's pulling this data from so despite my best efforts i don't know if this is true but google (laughs) says he was born in 1937 in michigan okay um there's not a lot out there about him but he if you search for his name and his books you will find some lists on some on there's like one on goodreads and one on like thrift books i also found a list on fantasticfiction.com yeah so just a bunch of sort of I'm going to go ahead and say like semi auto generated lists of, of books on book websites. Yeah. <laughs> and you will see that he was, he was fairly prolific as a novelization writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote, he wrote books for the bad news bears for volcano coast is toast, um, a horror movie called it's alive, a thriller called deadly encounter. Uh, he wrote the bad news bears go to Japan. <laughs> Okay. And some and books for a bunch of other flicks I'm I'm not really familiar with. One of his most prominent works and the one thing that like rates on his IMDb bio profile, it's like one line and this is it, is that uh he with a he, I assume he ghost wrote it for this FBI agent named Joseph Pistone or Pistoni. Okay. Uh called Donnie Brasco, My Undercover Life in the Mafia. And oh. It's about a FBI. It, it's a real thing. It's about an FBI agent who uh, infiltrated the mafia with the alias Donnie Brasco. Okay, so he helped this guy write this this uh, book about his exploits, and there have been several movies based on on this, 
on the real events, which okay. I assume that they are rooted in the book because it's a primary source on. Yeah, you know, he gets a happened. he gets a story credit on on that yeah. film. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's pretty much that's pretty much the deal with Richard Woodley. I don't know if the work reveals any more about the artist that you can sort of identify that we can talk about. I don't think so. <laughs> I I found an article in people magazine from 1988 mm-hmm. that is about him and his son mm-hmm. i literally just found this so i can't even like oh, tell you yeah. mm-hmm. much of, it is mu- it is mostly about him having written uh this donnie brasco donnie brasco book mm-hmm. and then madonna's name is in the story and it's underlined a bunch and i so i don't mm-hmm. know <laughs> know what's happening here Uh, okay Uh, but it is about it is written uh by him um so you can go read that if you want so he's just kind of a a writer about town around for a long time and he was around for a while and he google doesn't list a death date so he may he may still still out there yeah 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 just waiting to write another bad news bears novelization now you and i andrew we have both seen the film con air the Bad News Bears oh. in Breaking Training is another one that he did. Okay, okay. I would not say that you or I are a Conair sewer, though. Whew. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I mean, for a lot of reasons, I wouldn't say that. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I am, may, I don't know how well-versed you are in the nick cage oeuvre i might be more than you are i think you might be more than i am i know um i know con air obviously i yeah. know uh face off yeah i know um the rock is him right yes that was the year before this so this that was, was the other bruckheimer joint um yeah he was also um gone in 60 seconds i think was another bruckheimer joint yeah uh and i yeah, I've seen. I like Raising Arizona. <laughs> sure, <laughs> which is a Coen Brothers, like uh-huh. an early Coen Brothers comedy with him in it. It's a much different role for him than the stuff he would become known for later. This he's one of one of our unlikeliest action stars. Is how I really would summarize Nick Cage. <laughs> really true. Like Laura and I just watched a movie I'd never seen. It could happen to you, which is like a rom com about him. And I don't remember the actress's name. Um, they like share a lottery ticket and it kind of briefly ruins their lives and then makes their lives better. And it's based on a true story. Bridget Fonda. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, what is this movie where he's just a charming leading man? What is happening here? It's so. <laughs> there is. <laughs> you know? There's. So the show community, there was an episode that they did where somebody was giving a class on called "Who's the Boss," which was which purported to be a semester long uh, project trying to determine who the boss was in the TV show "Who's the Boss." Okay, and then a highlight of late series community is a riff on that where there is a class on the oeuvre of Nick Cage and just trying to make any sense of it, just yeah. like trying to figure it out and the character Abed goes mad trying to make sense of Nick Cage's career. And I think that's, I think that's, that's what I think of when I think of Nick Cage. Well, and then there's like the whole thing where he makes the national treasure movies. And then he's in like, like he's purportedly in a bunch of 
tax trouble, so he has to keep making movies. Because he bought that haunted house he in New Orleans that, that ruined his Orleans. career. <laughs> that was, we were in New Orleans several years ago, and we went on a ghost tour, which is s- stupid fun. Yeah. And we passed a big house, and the tour guide told us that Nick Cage bought that house. And it's not proof that it's haunted, but his career <laughs> did just happen to take a nosedive yep. after he bought that haunted New Orleans house. Isn't he also like a whiz- wizard in some movies? Oh, there was that one Disney movie where he was a wizard. That yeah, one he's flopped. like a wizard. It was the Sorcerer's mm. Apprentice, maybe? I don't know. I don't want to look it up. I just like to think of Nick Cage in a bathrobe being a wizard. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. And he had a weird Boy. hair thing. He mm-hmm. also he, he weird... frequently has a weird hair <laughs> he thing. He has some yeah. hair in this film. Um, mm-hmm. Tell you what. But yeah, so but this, I mean, this movie starred, I mean, including Nicolas Cage, oh this, God, this movie cast. is a real who's who of 90s movie guys. It's unbelievable. Uh, including uh, John Cusack, Steve Buscemi, Ving Rhames, John Malkovich, uh, Danny Trejo is involved. Uh, Cole Meany, Cole Meany yeah. TV's Chief O'Brien mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. is part of it. He's the one who's telling them to just shoot down the play in the whole oh God. Time. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of people. Uh-huh. And I think this movie, the the kind of so the director Simon West had never directed a film before. This what a movie. and what a way to what a way to start, you know. He went on to direct things like Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, and The General's Daughter. But I can guarantee you, Andrew, mm-hmm. that if you had not seen Con Air, you would still be familiar with Simon West's work mm-hmm. because he directed. The Rick Astley music video. <laughs> Is are you Rick rolling me right now with your words? I am mm. literally yes. He directed it. I, I do think that there is something of that whole Bruckheimer operation that is born out of like a MTV '90s music video sensibility. There's a lot of just sure. action vibes, mm-hmm. and then that kind of paves the way for Michael Bay. Um, mm-hmm. Jerry but, Bruckheimer walked so Michael Baker. <laughs> yeah, well, Jerry Bruckheimer is a producer on on The Rock, Armageddon, Black Hawk Down, Pearl Harbor, and Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Well, and started <laughs> with, a lot of stuff. He started with the Beverly Hill Cop movies, and then did like mm-hmm. Top Gun and stuff too. Like mm-hmm. he's also apparently the guys the executive producer on the Amazing Race or something, huh? Where he's got at least I bet, you on know it. I bet that's one of those jobs that. It's like, we'll pay you if we can put your name on this, but like, you don't need to show up if you don't want to. (laughs) It's a Hollywood no-show union job or something. Yeah, he probably just helps them like rent spaces around the world or something. Mm -hmm. Must be rough to be Simon West, though, to be like the Weezer of movie directors and just do one perfect movie, your your first one, and then never to be able to top it. Uh, the screenwriter, Scott Rosenberg, um, I think he was a screenwriter in High Fidelity, Gone 60 Seconds, uh, Kangaroo Jack, anyone? Wow. Also a Bruckheimer mm. production. Um, credits on the, the recent Jumanji movies, not the OG Jumanji movie. Not, but, not no, okay. Um, the recent ones. And the one on, with The Rock, right? Yes, and mm-hmm. Jack Black. Um, yes, okay. And Venom, I think he has some credits on Venom. So, like, these three guys... Just slapped together a movie mm-hmm. in ni- June of 1997. It came out and was like this summer blockbuster starring Nick Cage and a cavalcade of stars. 
stars, as you said. <laughs> Roger and Ebert I, gives it three out of four stars, wow. saying that it moves smoothly and with visual style and verbal wit. Okay. Uh, some other people panned it. I just am having a hard time thinking of being a movie reviewer in the 90s who has to like try to take this movie more seriously than it's taking itself. <laughs> um, I did like this thing that Andrew Johnston for, from uh, Time Out New York said. Uh, he wrote, Leaving the Rock last summer, I thought it seemed physically impossible for a more over-the-top action movie to be made. That was pretty short-sighted of me since it was only a matter of time until producer Jerry Bruckheimer topped himself, <laughs> as he does with the wildly entertaining Con Air. <laughs> what's, what's wild about this movie is it was like... You know, it was not super positively received, but it made money, and mm-hmm. it's not like based on anything. That's what, in I, particular. That's what I was about to say. It's not mm-hmm. based. This was a time when you could just say, like, oh, in 1995, they they like kind of upgraded and changed the prison transport system in the U.S., and then mm-hmm. you're the screenwriter. You go on a few of those plane rides for research and then you have a movie and like you just hire a bunch of guys and you take this b-movie presence and then all like this idea and then all of a sudden it's a summer blockbuster like Mm -hmm. they're not basing it on a comic they're not trying Mm -hmm. to start the con air ip though they had ideas Mm -hmm. for a sequel where they went to space but it's like not a thing i am dying for well no actually because they would ruin it but i like to think of a universe where there's a second face-off movie and it's as good as the first one. <laughs> I don't I don't think I actually want them to make it, but it just I I like to think about what if what if that happened. Here's my question for you on a face-off sequel and then we can mm-hmm. get into this book. Mm-hmm. Would you prefer a face-off sequel with two new faces? Mm-hmm. Uh a third face mm-hmm. or a movie where they just swap back? It's got to be a third face. Third, same two guys. Just think of the think of the, think of the combinations. Face. Yeah, third face. Okay, I dig it. And then maybe maybe somebody comes in that's like a fourth face. Maybe you just keep adding faces. <laughs> okay, a movie in which we don't know how many faces have been offed. Yeah. Okay, that's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want new faces. <laughs> I don't want to have to learn new face. I like I don't want like I want these I want the two faces I know in the movie. No, I cuz I if you if it's new faces then you know it's like a direct video sort of thing with none of the involvement yep. of the original uh cast or production team and it's just it's not a thing. You know, it's a lazy cash grab. It doesn't it doesn't treat the yep. property with the respect that it deserves. Yeah, some soap mm-hmm. opera actors saying I'm going to yeah. put his face on and then mm-hmm. you're just like come on. Yeah. Uh, so you talked about uh, <laughs> this being inspired by the Justice Prisoner and Alien Transportation System, or JPATS. Sure. Did you know that this airplane has literally nothing to do with the way that they that they move prisoners <laughs> in the federal uh, prison system? Uh, JPATS planes don't look like the Con airplane. They look like regular airplanes. This The plane in this movie is a Fairchild C-123 provider, which was never, ever used by JPATS at any point, but was used in the Vietnam War as a transportation plane and to spray Agent Orange on people. So wow. that's, there's that. Oh, no. Um, real J- Yeah, real JPATS planes just look like standard commercial airliners. Prisoners can be restrained in a lot of ways. You know, they can have their wrists and their ankles tied their their like their cuffs can be uh covered 
in a way that uh, makes the, you know, the locking mechanism inaccessible, which would have foiled, I think, the escape of the Most of first prisoner movie. on in the movie Con Air. Um, but FAA regulations prevent them from being physically tied down using anything other than a seatbelt. So like this movie where it's, it's like, okay, here's a bunch of really, really dangerous criminals that we have to transport. We're going to put a bunch of them in their own individual cages and strap them down that they're not allowed to do that, I guess. No. And, um, yeah, this, (laughs) this whole story is like, you just... If you're going to go watch the movie, you're going to read the book, like you're just going to spend a lot of time thinking about the prison system mm-hmm. and about cops mm-hmm. and about bad guys mm-hmm. and bad guys with hearts of gold. Like those mm-hmm. are that's just where the the story lives <laughs> and you you're stuck on the plane with them. The my last fun fact about the movie, and then Please. we can talk about the book, is that you know at the end where they crash the plane in Las Vegas, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they blow up the Hard Rock Hotel, and they blow up a casino. Yes. Um. So uh, Bruckheimer originally wanted it, the crash to happen at the White House. Sure. Which is very Bruckheimerian. Well, because Independence think. Day had already happened by this point, right? Uh, I think so. This is uh, mid to late 96. So, yeah, I think so. Um, But there was a the Sands Casino in Las Vegas was slated to be demolished anyway. Mm. And so Bruckheimer says, oh, that's more like that's thematically in keeping with my movie about uh, about convicts like getting lucky. (laughs) Okay. And so they blew up the lobby of this casino that was going to be demolished for the finale of their, their movie. And then it was demolished the rest of the way later. So it's very resourceful of them, I think, to find a casino that was going to be blown up. Yeah. I watched that sequence again. It doesn't look great, (laughs) but I like the story that where they it, i just yeah. I like how they how resourceful they were in finding a, a casino to explode yes that's always a good time um, yeah and of course you ruin that when you have to throw in like green screen crap of your plane like going down <laughs> but it's yeah the plane still, doesn't look amazing i appreciate the the chutzpah and it, what's fun is like the explosions are pretty impressive in that sequence but the plane whatever plane they're like slowly pushing at the yeah like the one the one fifth model or whatever mm-hmm. the actual plane was uh, sold several times following its use in the movie and then it crashed in real life in 2010 oh no yeah con air yeah some people died oh yeah it's awful <laughs> I know. Well, that's a plane crash for you. Okay. Well, <laughs> great mood. Um, let's talk. <laughs> so tell me about this silly book about prisoners in the sky. Here's what I love about this novelization. Mm-hmm. So it's got the that mo- it reminds you of the movie Con Air. Rem- besides that, yeah, it's got the it's published by Mandarin Press, which I know nothing about. Um, uh, it's got very little to do other than just give me the book i'm not sure that this was ever published in the united states <laughs> mm-hmm. this is published in the uk mm-hmm. um the edition that i could find I had to buy it used i do you did have to wait 
a couple of weeks to get it right yeah it like didn't it was... come right away um <laughs> and it just you know it has the poster image on the front which mm-hmm. if it doesn't have the thing what i love about the poster where the names on the poster don't match up with the profiles of the guys yeah they, <laughs> they give nicholas cage like center billing but that's mm-hmm. where john cusack is mm-hmm. so if you don't know them you'd be very confused yeah, or maybe it's a face-off situation uh, where John Cusack and Nick Cage switch faces. Um, I appreciate makes that. you think this is a no frills publication, Andrew. What like, does that mean? the The first page is just an excerpt from, uh, like an action scene about mm-hmm. about the guys taking over the plane. The I'm next, looking at the the pages that you've got the book kind of held up to the camera in a way yeah. that I can see the pages. It doesn't look like there's any full color photographs from the. I'll I'll let you know. There, oh, wait, there wait, are wait. photographs. I, wait, I do I do see I see one. I see a page that <laughs> is, is on thicker stock than the other ones <laughs> right in the middle there. Ooh, I can't wait. Page two is just <laughs> Con Air with a novel by Richard Woodley and based on the screenplay by Scott Rosenberg. Then mm-hmm. we get the you know ISBN page. Then there's a quote from Fyodor Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. The degree of civilization in a society can be judged by observing its prisoners. Okay. Then we get an, this movies about prisoners. Then we get another page that says Con Air, mm-hmm. and then the book starts. I mean, that sounds like the normal number of yeah. I mean, there's not like a did like Richard didn't dedicated to anybody no there's no dedication there's no like forward by nicholas but i I was also (laughs) struck by in the back of the book there's just like four or five blank pages there's no like other books by the publisher there's no go see con air in theaters now well so when you go to see con you go to see the con air premiere and you wait out back by the cast exit, mm. you can get them to sign your book. Well, and there's plenty of space on those four pages for the yeah, whole yeah, yeah. riveting cast. You're right. That's yeah. a good point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then there are a lot of guys in this movie whose signatures you'd want. <laughs> and, pro- and no women that I remember. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So let's get into this book. I had to refresh my memory that in the movie, I believe under like the one of the credit sequences we just get nick cage like in prison mm-hmm. uh just like exchanging letters with his wife and then his daughter which does yeah, a, which do, covers a when do lot we get the, when do we get the flashback that explains why nick cage is in prison is it right after that or is it it could be an opening gambit that i don't remember because the the thing to know about Nick Cage and Conair is that he's a good criminal. And yes. the only reason he killed anybody is because they attacked him and his then uh, girlfriend or fiance, I think in like the parking lot outside a bar. Yeah. And he was so good at fighting that he accidentally killed somebody. Yeah. So, and he must've drawn a, a hang and judge or something because he still ends up in prison for eight years. Yeah. So the, the opening of this book is him, he's coming back from Desert Storm, and he is a U.S. Army Ranger. His name is Sergeant Cameron Poe. And (laughs) he's a Southern guy, which, just go watch the trailers, you can tell from Nick Cage's voice. Uh, In the book, you can tell because it happens less as the book goes on, but he does have some strange idioms, like, Mm -hmm. at least it ain't as dry as last year's pig poop. 
referring to the su- the southern weather contrasted a, with the desert, I guess. Does the book say poop or are you censoring it that? Says it book. says poop in the book. People do curse in the book, but not uh-huh. here. Um, a hardened, this hardened <laughs> veteran criminal fr- who, <laughs> who served in the army yep. and s- still says poop. That's, yeah. uh, that's nice. Uh, and when he's at the bar and he meets his, I think she might be his wife, uh, Trisha, mm-hmm. and he meets her at the bar. She's already pregnant. So I'm not sure. It's his, right? It is his. Okay. And I'm not sure, like, when uh the timeline is not important it just she's pregnant with his kid he's back he's finally discharged now and uh some yokels at the bar start giving her a hard time mm-hmm. clear that they've been doing this a lot while he's not been around and they mm-hmm. don't like him mm-hmm. and at one point he says to his wife you know these huckleberries huckleberry in the one guy's like what's a huck you call me a huckleberry it's like what is happening it takes a little while mm-hmm. before the movie before the book becomes as r-rated as the movie mm-hmm. uh but yes i do i i do love and this listen i'm not getting this from nick cage i do love uh somebody who really leans into a folksy athleticism yes. though yes. like i used to work with somebody way back in my uh my it days who would say when when something was was useless, she would say, "It's about as much use as tits on a boar hog." She would say, <laughs> "Okay, mm-hmm. yeah." Mm-hmm. I don't know that I have one of those. I wish I had written down more of them because there were a lot of them just like that. <laughs> and you could and make those like Target remember. woodblock prints out of them and put them up mm-hmm. in your home. <laughs> yes, next to my live, laugh, love pillow. Yep. So, as you said, Andrew, he gets into these guys, pick a fight with him. He is a very talented army ranger fighter man, and he just kicks the crap out of him. In the he tries to leave with his wife, and in the parking lot, one guy comes at him with a knife. Mm -hmm. He kicks the knife away so hard it goes in the water and is never seen ever again. Mm -hmm. Then he punches the man in the head so hard that the guy dies. Like Mm -hmm. he does the classic nose punch into the brain right you know from action movies yes no i know i'm familiar uh and so then yes he is uh you know taking it he immediately he kills this guy and then goes and calls 911 on himself Mm -hmm. um and he's taken in i just don't understand why i mean maybe eight years was not a long sentence and so it was like he did there I just, I guess I just don't understand why the, the accidental nature of it and the self-defense nature of it resulted in such a harsh prison, like an eight year stint in federal prison. The, the, the thing that happens here, there's like a two page explanation or quote as close as to an explanation as we're going to get where the attorney that he's assigned or whatever is like, listen, take the manslaughter plea they're ne- they can't find the knife so they c- you can't prove that this was done in self defense it's your word against his friends um take the okay. plea maybe you'll get 3 or 4 years wasn't his girlfriend there yeah but like i don't know man but she's just a woman no one's going to listen to her well and she's clearly his 90s. wife she's going to protect him i guess <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, and so there's a beat in the courtroom where the judge sentences him to seven or eight years, and he's Fine. like, what? Mm-hmm. And that's that. And so then he okay. goes to jail, and uh, here's how he... The first months were the easiest. Cameron Poe knew discipline, and to a certain extent, the outside world for him seemed to remain frozen. Trisha was just pregnant. She waited. He waited. He went about his life mechanically, as if it weren't his life at all. Within the walls, he was insisted, insisted, as if himself unborn. What? E-N-C-Y-S-T-E-D. Oh, insisted. Okay, I mean, I like that. I, I was think, not. I I wasn't stopped. expecting <laughs> vocab words in a novelization of the movie Con Air, though. Um, but yeah, so he just spends a lot of time uh, in prison, um, kind of just trying to trying to keep his head low, trying not to get in any fights, but also mm-hmm. not trying to back down from fights so that mm-hmm. people take advantage of him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like one or two little paragraphs that allude to him having a very rough upbringing, which is why he went and joined the Rangers, and he's this like kind of ultra-competent guy. There's a shot when he's going to meet Trisha at the beginning of the novel, and he's like sizing up uh, places like, ooh, that's a boat. I could steal that if I needed to. I know how to hardwire it. I know how to take out a guy if there was a guy. He's like, he can't leave his army training behind. He's just mm-hmm. super competent, right? Um, of course. I mean, it's it's Nick it's Nick Cage. That's the aura <laughs> that he that he projects. It's and just super super competent. I mentioned it earlier. There's so then I think in, in the movie we get this pen pal montage between him and his daughter, who he's never met because he doesn't mm-hmm. want her to see him in prison. Mm-hmm. She's seven now, mm-hmm. and or over the course of this time. Um, and there's a like a whole little subplot in this book where there's two gangs in the prison and the co- and like the prison guards try to get him to like snitch on one of the gangs and the gangs know they think that he snitched and he's made this mm-hmm. friend with baby o who likes the cupcakes that his wife sends him baby o um, baby o later we find out is also diabetic um, it's crucial to the plot of the of baby baby O's character. Uh, and, it's a me, baby O. And uh, there's this big prison break that happens. That's like like kind of alluded to in the montage, where the there's prison. Everything's on fire, and the gang leader uses this opportunity to try and take out Cameron Poe, and uh-huh. Cameron Poe kills him. But it, he had to and also no one ever catches him because it was part of the prison break and uh-huh. so they just move those guys to San Quentin even though they weren't necessarily as bad as to be put in San Quentin in the first place okay so that's why he's in the prison with all these these super bad dudes well sort of so he gets the thing that the setup of Con Air once we get to the plane is that they're gonna they they're opening a new supermax somewhere in the south like alabama or something and they're gonna move all these like really nasty guys there Mm -hmm. and some of them are getting picked up out of san quentin and then they have to stop in carson city to get more of them and then they're gonna take them uh on con air that way Mm -hmm. and uh baby o's not getting out 
but I, I, th- I think he's getting transferred to that Supermax. I don't remember. Cameron Poe is on parole now. <laughs> you keep saying baby to me. <laughs> like it's just a normal thing <laughs> that somebody could be named. <laughs> Uh, Start calling your baby Baby O. <laughs> fine. Baby O's a very nice character. Everybody <laughs> likes him. Um, and the uh, so Cameron Poe is is he's gonna get out on parole. So he's finally gonna meet his daughter. He bought this dirty mean, pink. Do, do you mean do you mean parole? <laughs> yeah, I do. Sorry, he's out on parole, <laughs> and he bought this dirty pink bunny from the commissary that he's gonna give to his daughter. Um, and that becomes a big sticking point. So he and Baby O and the rest of the normal guys are on one van, and all of the really mean guys are in a different van, and mm-hmm. they're all getting loaded onto the plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, one note, Baby O does need to get an insulin shot or two on this plane. His blood sugar's low. Right. Uh, that's going to be a source of tension moving forward. Mm-hmm. We get introduced to a bunch of the other bad guys um through vince larkin who uh, is played by john cusack in the film he is kind of a by the book but also a little roguish like he was he's not here trying to he just wants to get these people where they need to go can you sh- show me the cover of the book again real quick? Just, just, just He's for wearing a, a tie. Yeah, I mean, you can tell that he is by the book, but also willing to break the rules because he is in a shirt with a tie, but his sleeves are unbuttoned and rolled up a little bit. But his shirt is still tucked in. His shirt's still tucked in. Yeah, yeah like he's he's all about getting stuff done, but he doesn't mind, you know, tweaking a few starch stuff shirts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. Totally. <laughs> um, and so he introduces us to guys like Billy Bedlam, the murderer. The, Is that his real Christian name? No, Will, William Bedlam. It's something else, but okay. they call him Billy Bedlam. He's a serial murderer. There's a serial rapist named Johnny Twenty Three. He sucks. Rad. Cool. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh, played by Ving Rhames, Diamond Dog Jones, uh, nice. who uh, purportedly. Uh, bombed an NRA meeting uh, in... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, no comment. And, uh, and then the lead guy is uh, Cyrus the Virus, um, played by <laughs> John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. And this is what Larkin has to say about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got serious juice inside the system. Big time respect, a leader. Inside, he's earned two degrees, engineering and psychology. Killed three inmates. Suspected in eight more deaths. Incited three riots. Escaped twice. Bribed guards. Substituted a lookalike who had AIDS another time. Very clever guy. I'd say he's a true product of the system. And the what, Malloy, who <laughs> works for the DEA, is like, what kind of crap is that? And he's like, no, just that this guy learned the system inside and out and used it. So there's like, every once in a while, you get these quotes from larkin who's larkin later in this novel and you know how i opened this book with a quote by fyodor dostoevsky yeah 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 yeah. later in an argument about whether or not cameron poe is a good guy who might help them larkin Mm -hmm. says hey you know what dostoevsky said after visiting a russian jail the degree Uh of civilization in the society could be judged by observing its prisoners he sounds like a fun guy at parties vince larkin does yeah, like here I'm gonna roll up my sleeves just a little bit and keep my shirt tucked in, and I'm gonna quote 
<laughs> there's a whole bunch of scenes where him and another cop jenny clark like flirt a little bit it's weird um so he's in conflict there are women in this movie but they exist only as like side piece, yeah like subplot motivators yeah like, we get some not... we get some scenes with with uh poe's wife and then the other uh woman in the movie is this guard bishop who very quickly uh once the prisoners take over is like locked in a cage and like convicts try to rape her twice like that's nice. her whole thing cool uh, the the larkin is in conflict with the dea duncan malloy your cole meany and this guy named willie sims they they need to get willie sims undercover on con air because in carson city they're gonna pick up this mafioso guy drug guy uh sindino or something and Oh, in the flight to the Supermax prison, they need to get him on tape talking about stuff. So Sims is going to go is, undercover. This is too complicated. Sims is going to go undercover, and there's a big this fight. Is too, this is too many things to be trying to do on one single airplane. <laughs> it's great. Sims is going to. The problem is Sims wants to bring a gun on the plane on his person uh, to protect himself. Why would you mm-hmm. put, why would you put all the uh-huh. worst guys on one plane? Why wouldn't you put <laughs> one of them on a bunch would, of different planes? Yeah, why would, why wouldn't you put William Bedlam on a plane with a bunch of like white yes! collar criminals? So it's not, and he's going to go up to somebody and he's going to say, Hey, do you want to break out? And the guy's like, no, I don't want to. I, I'm a, I only know how to do spreadsheet crimes. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, <laughs> No, yeah, you're totally I'm not like right. you. We're not the same. Because it is revealed that Cyrus the Virus had a copy of, like a printout of The Last Supper with all the eyes cut out. And if you put it over a piece of paper, it says, meet at Carson City through the eyes. And that was his message <sighs> Some to Mr. Sindino. Nonsense. Uh, so they know, they, they find out this out later after the prisoners take over the plane. Um, and so the whole, this is part of a plot. Right. These guys knew yeah. they were getting on the plane. Because you put the most like the, the most canny, conniving <laughs> criminals yeah. all on the same plane. Of course, they all plotted to take over the plane. Here's how they take over the plane, Andrew. Mm-hmm. This guy, Pinball. Uh, <laughs> Another guy, great. He pulls something out of his stomach on a string. He pulls out this little ball of wax out of his stomach. And inside of it is a match and a tube of kerosene great and he uses it to light another dude's chair on fire uh-huh meanwhile other guys have taken little needles out of calluses in their hands mm-hmm. and they've used it to unpick their locks and so then they overpower the guards and take over the plane mm-hmm. and they kill the dea agent because he's like hey guys i'm a DEA agent and they they took the the one gun on the plane belonged to the pilot they took his gun and then they shoot the DEA agent. Now they have two guns. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one, the DEA agent's boss, very upset, who wants to blow this plane out of the sky, is like, listen, he told me he wanted to be a soldier in the war on drugs. We, oh, I'm so sad about him. <laughs> Sucks so hard. This is all so stupid. <laughs> And I remember thinking the movie was stupid at the time, but having it all <laughs> written out and like, I have to know all these characters names and what their motivations. Are, I, I don't know. It just makes it worse. Something, and this is something that I think this episode will not do justice 
to the film because my my thesis for this novelization uh-huh. is that this movie is greater is way greater than the sum of its story parts. Like the fact oh, that obviously. it has <laughs> the the stacked cast benefits all of these kind of one-off characters a lot more than a movie novelization that's really just trying to do the plot can cuz uh-huh. there's there's too many characters and in the movie it doesn't feel that way in the movie uh-huh. it's like oh this is just look at all these weird guys like look at all these <laughs> maniacs and in the book you're like which one is that guy and which one is Cameron Poe lying to uh-huh. um so like the prisoner exchange in Carson City doesn't go as planned. They pretend to be the guards and they get a bunch of people off the plane. Poe should have gone, but he doesn't because he doesn't want to leave the people behind in trouble because, you know, the bad Cyrus the virus is going to take this plane to a non-extradition country and they're probably going to kill the guards and all that kind of stuff. So Poe feels bad. He doesn't want to do it. So he, he could have gone home to his family, but he, he can't live with himself if he does. Mm-hmm. He does get uh, the wire that had been recording things in the plane off of the dead DEA agent's body and onto one of the guards posing as one of the uh, leave them in Carson City guys. There's a convenient sandstorm where everybody has to wear masks so nobody can really tell who's who when they're coming in and out of the plane. I remember the whole like back half of this movie basically taking place in the sandlot. Like it's just a <laughs> it's this weird desert for some reason, like a desert shantytown plane yes. graveyard uh-huh. for some reason. Yeah. So they yeah. um Poe learns that they have to go to Lerner Airfield, which is this like abandoned airfield in the desert that does have a that do, is a shantytown. Mm-hmm. Um pinball andrew didn't make it when they left carson city he was off the plane and they left without him um and he tried to get back on the plane and got stuck in the landing gear Mm -hmm. and uh, poe goes down there because he's gotten in good with cyrus he's being helpful and Mm -hmm. he finds pinball in the landing gear and he writes he'd heard agent larkin on the on the radio so he writes agent larkin's name on pinball's body and then pushes him out of the airplane and then it lands on a guy's buick uh and <laughs> while larkin is talking to cameron poe's wife to try and learn more information some guy comes in he goes larkin this case has its name has your name all over <sighs> no and really it does from, from his n- name being written and he's be- he's pushed out of an air <sighs> Okay, so yep. for one, I'm surprised that he was still legible after being pushed out of a, a flying airplane <laughs> and hitting the ground. Yeah. Uh-huh. For one, for just number one, that's just one thing. Okay. Number two, I don't, I mean, I guess I don't know how you could interpret exactly what Nick Cage wanted John Cusack to take from just having his name written on somebody's dead body he he did you know, also like I don't, he also wrote meet at learner airfield or something so okay all right so there's there's more message okay yeah, great. yeah sorry mm-hmm. about that um yeah no sorry it's it's okay it's okay but uh yeah because like, is, it's very there's a lot like, happening so then i'll try to let's, let's briefly summarize <laughs> the whole rest of the movie and then tell me how this works as a novelization like sure. vis-a-vis yeah okay the movie because it's all just <laughs> So so they're going to go 
to um to this airfield there's some double crossing that happens where the mafia guy was only going to get out on his own there is poe trying to keep the fact that he's not this hardened san quentin lifer like story secret he Mm -hmm. has to kill billy bedlam to keep him secret that's there's the famous scene where nick cage says put the bunny back in the box that's what that's about yeah famous um that he should in film school larkin and poe team up in in the in this airfield but they don't stop Conair from getting away. And then uh, Conair flies to Las Vegas, but the engines are busted. And so it crashes. And then most of the guys are dead <laughs> or something. Um, but then there's a one more final chase sequence where <laughs> the Swamp Thing, Cyrus the Virus, and Diamond Dog are all on a fire truck. And Cameron Poe has to fight them with Larkin's help, and they kill Cyrus the Virus by climbing up the ladder of the fire truck, and then he gets hit with a highway overpass. Um, mm-hmm. And then Cameron Poe gets to be with his family. That's the summation of the rest of the film. The, Rad. Uh, it's easy to sum up kind of quickly like that because it's all just action scenes. There, yeah. there is one weird scene where the the Steve Buscemi creep character hangs out with a little girl, and they sing a song, and then nothing ever comes of it. <sighs> I mean, honestly, I'm glad that nothing yep. came because what what good could come of nope. that? Um, how does this work as a novel? The action is very confusing. Yeah, I was gonna like what is so if it's all if the back half of it essentially right is all action scenes, then what is that like to read? Let me see if I can find a good clip because there's it's like some, a representative. Sometimes bit of, stuff just happens. Mm-hmm. Um. There was a cool scene that I didn't remember from the movie, but I guess it is in the movie where Larkin uses a crane to like cut a Learjet in half, mm-hmm. which was pretty dope. And then mm-hmm. Cyrus the Virus throws his cigar at it and blows it up with the guy inside. That I was did, kind I of vaguely neat. remember this, yeah. Um, but there's like this whole sequence, okay, where Larkin is driving a snowplow for no reason. Mm-hmm. And there's a big uh, like cable attached to the plane that Poe had attached to a concrete pylon to prevent it from taking off, but Diamond Dog stopped him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the plane is taking off, this happens. From the tail hook, the cable, now released from the pylon, writhed and slashed like a desperate snake, slapping lethally at anything within 20 yards of the plane. Faster, faster, the plane moved, edging ahead of Larkin's dump truck, which was now nearly shaking apart from the old vibration of the old engine trying to impel the old parts. He didn't know what he would do if he could get ahead of the plane, just that he had to get there and stop it somehow. In front of him, the wild cable swung and slashed. He would see it whip into the wooden shed where he had hidden Malloy's Corvette. In a split second, the cable did just that and more. It sliced through the wooden wall and instantly whacked into the Corvette. And too fast for Larkin's eye to capture it, the cable wrapped itself three times around the chrome bumper and snapped tight. The Corvette was ripped through the shed, exploding a hail of wood, and was yanked into position behind the C-123 and hauled wildly down the runway. And, like, the plane takes off... pulling a Corvette into the sky and the license plate on the Corvette says as kicker on it. And, and the book and the book relays this to you. It does. Mm-hmm. And like just in time for, because Larkin had to use Malloy's Corvette to get there in time. Cause it's a super fast car. And then Malloy gets there later and he's, and they're like, yo, Malloy, is that your car? 
It's like it's the the action comedy stylings of your Bruckheimer pictures are just really awkward to convey on the page because they do yeah. require a certain amount of arbitrary physics to take place. Well, and like you <laughs> when you describe we use these very poetic descriptions of the way that this like cable is writhing. <laughs> I don't see Simon West being on set, being like, "Hey, can we get that cable to ride like a snake or whatever?" Yeah. Like, I don't, I just don't think that. And it, there, the I do think it kind of highlights the absurdity of a lot of the action sequences because they're just being described to you, and there's not a lot of like, well, this is clearly causing this, and this is clearly causing this. It's some more. It is really just like, well, and then this stuff happens, and it's isn't it wacky? <laughs> and then mm-hmm. this, why are we crashing into this? And in a movie, you can just kind of like assault the viewer with your music video intentions, and it just kind <laughs> of uh, like they're like, wow, that was a really intense action sequence. Yeah, and and you make it move so fast that people don't yes. have time to think about how stupid it is, there's, which is not something you can accomplish as easily in a book, I don't think. There's no pumping score and there's no like quick shaky editing like getting me through these action sequences, and that's mm-hmm. kind of tough. In the in the same way that I have no access to the performances of these characters and so, you know, most of them are just really one note and and like kind of harder to discern from one another than I think in the film where you just most of those guys were just cast based off their look and their sound. Yeah, they've just got, they've just got a face. Like Danny Trejo has a face oh, on him, you know. He's got one of the all-time great faces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so I will tell you Andrew there are photos in this book. Wonderful. They occur about halfway through. Mm-hmm. Um I do think that yeah, Conair has taken off. Um, they are in charge, uh, but the the feds have not discovered it yet. And all of a sudden, I'm presented with several pages of black and white photos. Black and white. The I want. F- I demand full color photos for the movie. Yeah, just like try to figure out what is happening in this explosion image. I mean, it looks like something is exploding behind a plane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's Colmini though. He gets a yeah, nice picture. Yeah, he's there. He just gets a cool shot. Yeah. Um, but like that one, the, the problem, and this is a problem with all novelizations that put photos in there. They're mm-hmm. from every part of the story, <laughs> and so <laughs> like that explosion hasn't happened yet. And it's then, not. It's not a. It's not a picture book. It is just like here we have we have exactly one page worth of cardstock that we can print these photos on. Yes, we're gonna stick it right in the middle. It's gonna be eight different <laughs> pictures from the entire breadth of breadth <laughs> of the story, and mostly it's just there to remind you of what the movie looks there's like more one, than it, more than it is to illustrate the actual. There's story. There's one page that is full Nick Cage. Oh yeah, of course you got to give him the full full page. And John Cusack gets an oval shot. Yeah, so it's like so, cropped, like an oval. Right. And it's overlapping a little bit with Colmini's little rectangle there. But no, it's if you can't give him a full page, and you can't give everybody a full page. Yeah. It's the 90s. You can at least do something with shapes to like make, to, to draw the eye and, and make the viewer understand that there's something you know special about that character true and i think the person who gets the most photos is cyrus the virus 
John Malkovich. Well, I mean, he's kind of the like, without check, Cyrus the virus. It's just out. a yeah. Look yeah. at him. Without Cyrus the virus is just kind of a movie about a plane that successfully transfers <laughs> prisoners from one prison to another prison. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of, you have to have him in there. Yeah, and Poe Poe is like as a character. You, you can't hang a full novel on him as written, you know. He just no without that Nick Cage je ne sais quoi. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Like the the line delivery isn't as interesting. His internal thoughts are not interesting. There's as in as much as we get any of them, um, it's just not. Woodley is there to deliver the beats of the movie. Mm-hmm. I do know that there you know there's some dialogue in the book that is the same as it is in the movie. Mm-hmm. I know that whatever character becomes the one played by Dave Chappelle in the film, I think Dave Chappelle improvised a lot of his lines. Um, I think there were a lot of rewrites as well. I saw some reports from Malkovich being frustrated by all the rewrites happening. Mm-hmm. So I don't know maybe, where... Maybe Dave Chappelle in the next movie that he's in, he could improvise being a better person. Yeah. Maybe in Con Air 2. Maybe he could do that. Yeah, in Con Air 2, he could improvise being like being a better person. Being a better person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a just a thought. I mean, I don't I don't want to note him to death, but <laughs> these are coming down from corporate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, um, but yeah, I think the um, the the lack. I I don't know that I fully appreciated how much Conair relied on the specific energy of like twenty people. Yeah, in front of the camera, and I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a reason. It's the reason it works to the extent that it does is because the performances are either in they're either like can't good in a campy sort of way, yeah. or you're just left wondering about the decisions in a way that distracts from other weaker elements yes. of the film. Like when Nick Cage does a Southern accent, you're like, is it what what? And and your brain, so much of your brain. Your processing power is caught on those yeah. tasks that you can't really chew your way through any of the other stuff. And and he's this camera, uh, Cameron Poe. His name is Nick Cage. He's also like he's kind of playing straight man to a bunch of even zanier guys, right? Because he's a good criminal who yeah. only got yeah, which is just <laughs> who, only an got, who only got eight years of prison time because <laughs> they couldn't find a knife in a parking lot, I guess. <laughs> I had fun with this read. I don't mean to besmirch Mr. Woodley too much. It's just he he had a tough task ahead of him trying to capture the magic of Con Air, probably as it was being filmed, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Yeah. So he he didn't even know as he was putting down his first draft, probably yeah. how, how good the movie was going to be. Yeah, um, there's a very old I, that Ryan North of Dinosaur Comics fame, yeah. like many, many, many years ago at this point, did a was doing a Twitter thread about the novelization of Back to the Future, which was oh. based on a really early script treatment. And so, yeah, sometimes these novelizations are based on something that is rewritten or reworked for the screen, and the authors are just kind of rolling with it because they don't have access to the latest <laughs> stuff. And so, sometimes the stories are are much different than what happens in the movie. I don't, it doesn't sound like that's the case here, but even though, you know, people were complaining about the rewrites, I guess they must not have rewritten, you know, the big set pieces or anything. No, because it's a set piece first movie. I think that's mm -hmm. probably why it's so similar. Oops, all set pieces. Yeah. yeah. And just the, um, 
the biggest difference is the is the montage stuff that is most that is actually given more time in the book. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Con Air. I had fun on this flight, Andrew. I think we got a they're they're waving us in. The runway's open, mm-hmm. so we should probably land this baby. So, so would you say paradoxically that this book had more pros than cons? <laughs> I'm just, would you say, it's a yes or no question. It's not that, it's not that difficult. Do I have the power vested in me to sentence you to eight years? I don't think, I mean, I don't know if you can get internet appointed to <laughs> like the, the universal judiciary. life prison. Yeah. Jail. <laughs> okay. And you also have to, you also have to wonder whether I mean pros PROS or pros PROSE. I don't have that, to wonder. Does that make I, a difference? You, you just got to think about it, you know? All right, everyone. Send us an email. What did Andrew mean when he said the thing he said? Ooh, I like this. I like getting people to email us with a, you know, we give people a thinker for the, <laughs> that, they can, <laughs> that they can ponder and then they can email Andrew, us can you it. say your absurd thing again one more time? Just to make sure everybody heard it. Would you say, Craig, that this book had more pros than cons? All right. What did Andrew mean when he said it? And mm-hmm. if you've read this book, how would you answer? <laughs> OverduePod at gmail.com is the email address. <laughs> Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at OverduePod. Our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? OverduePodcast.com is our internet website up there where we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Uh, Click those links and you can buy the books through bookshop.org. I think the Con Air link right now goes to the DVD of the the movie instead of the book, Yeah, which is fine. It's the medium that it was intended to be you know, consumed in. So Uh so there you go. Patreon.com slash overdue pause, a way to get bonus episodes early to support us financially, to get access to our discord server, to get other rewards that we sit in on live streams, sit in on live streams. There you go. We had a fun time doing one about bread recently. Yeah. That's going to hit the main feed imminently or it has already. Um, and yeah, that's that's the thing. Next week, what am I? What, what are am you I reading? reading next week? I'm reading The House of Pomegranates by Oscar Wilde. Yeah, some fairy tales. Yeah, some fairy tales. Okay, well, Andrew, thanks. Conair for... is sort of a modern. Yeah, it is fairy tale. <laughs> a lot of ruminations on the criminal justice system, right? And and the moral is like, don't do don't do crimes, kids. Don't do crimes. The moral is don't get on Conair. <laughs> Take a don't different do... plane. <laughs> Don't do crimes, but if you are going to do crimes, do it for the right reason and then be awesome and and Heck yeah. resourceful. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Tie a Corvette to a plane. Yeah. Like do it. Do it right if you're going to do it. Okay. That's a good moral. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for flying pod air. And until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. Podcast.